Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Some really intelligent people over time have figured out ways to phrase their intended unkindness in some really clever and amusing ways. Mark Twain had a way about this. He wrote of one of his contemporaries, I did not attend his funeral, but I sent a nice letter saying I approved of it. Oscar Wilde wrote, Some cause happiness wherever they go. Others, whenever they go. Billy Wilder said of a friend, He has Van Gogh's ear for music. Playwright George Bernard Shaw wrote to Winston Churchill, I'm enclosing two tickets to the first night of my new play. Bring a friend, if you have one. Churchill responded, Cannot possibly attend first night. Will attend second, if there is one. <laughs> the way that we speak of others speaks volumes about us. Our mouth is often used as a diagnostic tool for what is taking place inside of us. We are diagnosing our relationship with others and with God based on what comes out of our mouths. When you visit a general practice doctor, maybe even most specialists, they'll look into your mouth to check for infection, inflammation. They'll look into your ears to check for blockage. Every once in a while when I get a sinus infection, things like that, the doctor would prescribe an antibiotic and often something called prednisone to clear things up. There's just one problem with prednisone for me. Prednisone almost entirely obliterates my verbal filters. Sometimes that's great. Sometimes I save up my prednisone for a time when I just need to talk straight to people and there's stuff that needs to be said. Sometimes it's terrible. And that brutal honesty has me claiming hills that are not worth defending. Those unfiltered words can come back to haunt me. And many of us have learned from childhood the saying of sticks and stones can break my bones, but words... Words. Our words can cast some serious stones, or they can help people to build powerful cornerstones in their life. So we're going to learn a little bit today from James, the brother of Jesus, and the leader of the Jerusalem church, about how this happens. At James's time, there was a battle happening between the apostle Peter and the people who wanted Christians to adhere to specific Jewish law, and to the apostle Paul, the folks who wanted to remove obstacles from the Gentiles experiencing Christian faith. The debate makes up a good portion of the content of the New Testament, and it was a division that was potentially injuring the witness or the integrity of the message in the newly established way of Christ. Now, the Jerusalem church was fairly poor in money, but rich in influence because of its leader and because of its location. It was actively trying to hold the center and James would proclaim throughout his message, yes, we are saved by faith, but a watching world in need of a selfless grace should be able to see and hear overwhelming evidence that faith in the lives of believers is influenced by the experience of Christ in our lives, including our speech. And that leads to our first lesson from this morning's scripture. The more influence we carry, the more accountable our words the more influence we carry, the more accountable our words. 
James writes, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged by God with greater strictness. We all make many mistakes, but those who control their tongues can control themselves in every other way. I've heard it said that if you are a leader, you multiply what you are. If you are driven and you have a gift of leadership, you multiply drive. If you're a student with a gift of leadership, you multiply study. If you're an encourager, you multiply encouragement. And if you're a grouse, you multiply grousing. That's not so much what you hope to replicate, but what you as a leader and an influencer embody and exemplify. Leadership becomes the thermostat for the culture of an organization. It sets the temperature over time. Leadership sage Dr. John Maxwell says, everything rises and falls on leadership, and leadership is influence. And everyone has a place of influence. It's true of everybody here. If you're a person of faith, you have circles where people may look at you as an ambassador for Christ, whether you intend for them to or not. James may be saying in this passage, don't plan to be teachers. It's a tough job. Or he may be saying, you're going to influence people as a representative of Christ. You've got to know that you'll be accountable for that. This passage says we'll be judged for that one day, and so we get to make sure that we do it intentionally. That leads to our second lesson from this morning's scripture. Disciples have the spiritual fruit of self-control. Disciples have the spiritual fruit of self-control. James goes on, We can make a large horse turn around and go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a tiny rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot wants it to go, even though the winds are strong. So also, the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It's full of wickedness that can ruin your whole life. It can turn the entire course of your life into a blazing flame of destruction, for it's set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals and birds and fish and reptiles, but no one can tame the tongue. It's an uncontrollable evil full of deadly poison. I look back to about four years ago when our Clara was seven years old. We went on a trip down to Trout Lodge, which is a fun spot. We got to do all sorts of outdoorsy stuff. And part of our adventure was horseback riding. That is a really good time. They have very docile and trained animals there. It's not entirely risk-free, but all of us were wearing bicycle helmets, so I'm sure we were perfectly safe. But anyhow, they sat this sweet little seven-year-old girl on the back of a huge beast of an animal, and somehow that bicycle helmet made us feel okay with that. Now, the horse that she was on was very clearly physically strong, and Clara did not match its physical strength, and yet, when she made a kissing sound the horse would go. And when she'd pull on the reins, the horse would stop. If she would pull to the left or to the right, the horse would go in that direction. You've got this tiny girl atop this massive beast, and yet from all appearances, she was in complete control of a tamed and disciplined animal. Even though it's a fairly small thing, James points out how the tongue determines our direction in relationships with others and in our relationship with God. It steers our relationships like a rudder steers a ship or like a bit can lead a horse. The rudder doesn't necessarily steer the ship. The bit doesn't really lead the horse. Those tools don't do much good unless there's a pilot or rider exercising and exerting some control over them. Otherwise, the vessel is liable to be subject to every crashing wave 
The horse, subject to every primal instinct, it's up to us to exercise control over our words. Because according to this metaphor, our words effectively control the direction of not just our lives, but the lives of others as well. And that leads to our third lesson from this morning's passage. Our words make audible whatever is inside of us. Our words make audible whatever is inside of us. Sometimes the tongue praises our Lord and Father, James writes. And sometimes it breaks out into curses against those who have been made in the image of God. Does a blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth? Surely, brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Can you pick olives from a fig tree or figs from a grapevine? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty pool. Here's the essence of what James is getting at. Can you speak ill of other people and still be a Christian? Can you speak ill of others and still be a Christian? Some folks will tell me when we talk about the words that we speak, oh, Grant, we're just in a super sensitive, politically correct time in our culture right now. People get upset when you say anything. I love freedom of speech, and I can say what I want, and I don't care what people think. And that is fine if your life is all about you. If our lives are about bringing people nearer to Jesus Christ, and I would argue that they all are, we may want to rethink that philosophy. We are wildly free to speak all kinds of nonsense that will drive people away from God, but we're also free to represent Jesus well. We know that people can have two faces, but they don't have two hearts. Whatever is in the one is what we have flowing out of our mouths. Jesus really reinforces this in Matthew chapter 12. He says, A tree is defined by its fruit. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. Brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good words from a good heart. An evil person produces evil words from an evil heart. And I tell you this, that you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say now reflect your fate then. Either you will be justified by them, or you will be condemned. So what is bad fruit? What is evil fruit? And perhaps it's judgment. When we look at other people and determine that their sins are worse than my sins. Maybe it's gossip. The information may or may not be true, but it's so juicy I just have to spread it far and wide. Maybe it's insults, which is cruelly pointing out the faults of others without the presence of a relationship where those words would be known to be loving, redeeming, and kind. There's triangulation, which is if you have a problem with someone, instead of following the pattern that Jesus sets forth in Scripture by going to that person, we talk about that person to win others to our side. Now, there are all kinds of ways that the, the bad things in our hearts can find their ways out of our mouths. The way that we speak of and with others not only reflects our relationship with them, but it's a direct reflection of our relationship with God. John writes in a letter to the church, we love each other as a result of Christ loving us first. So if someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For we don't love people we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? The Bible is basically saying, if we don't show love, especially towards other believers, we don't truly love God. That's a bad diagnosis. And that is a heart problem that's revealed by what's coming out of our mouths. So what do we fill our mouths with instead? What good fruits come from us instead? I think Jesus points us first to blessing. 
Blessing is what comes from us. He's telling us in the Sermon on the Mount, I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In this way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and good. He sends rain on the just and unjust. If you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that. I think Jesus also calls us to encourage one another. Scripture calls us to encourage people. I think it's true, the adage where it says, everyone is fighting a battle that we know nothing about. Everybody stands some encouragement. Everybody needs that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read that God decided to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out anger on us. He died for us so that we can live with him forever, whether we're dead or alive at the time of his return. So encourage one another and build each other up, just as you're already doing. We can use our words to encourage and build up. I think God would also have us use our words to share the gospel, to share good news of grace, that God loves us. But sin, sin in our lives, the sin of others, the life that we live in a fallen world, has built up a barricade between us and God, who is the very source of life and of love. And if we're cut off from life and love, then we die. So Jesus offered his life to defeat sin, to defeat the outcome of sin, which is death, and to defeat the temptation to build back that dividing wall through sin. And when we give our lives in trust to Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, sin is defeated in our lives and we get a brand new start. And we receive a gift of life that is true and abundant and eternal. And because our lives are changed, the world around us changes as well. There's more grace more justice and generosity because we have experienced that personally from our God. That's what we can share. That's good news that can come from all of our mouths. In Isaiah chapter 6, the Old Testament prophet found himself in the presence of a holy God and standing in the presence of that perfect holiness. Isaiah felt his faults. He was grieved by them. He screamed, I'm doomed My lips are unclean, and I live among people with unclean lips. It's all over for me. But an angel then delivered a coal to Isaiah's lips and touched them. And with that purification, his guilt was removed, and he was forgiven. He wasn't doomed. He was cleansed. On this All Saints Sunday, we're about to approach the communion table and find ourselves in the presence of God and in the great cloud of all those who ever have and whoever will be counted as faithful in Christ. And in that holy presence, we may sense that like Isaiah, our lips are unclean. But Jesus tells us specifically that the bread and the cup, his body broken and his blood shed, tell us again that we are cleansed and we are forgiven. As we receive the bread and the cup today, I pray you'll feel God cleanse your heart, giving your heart a brand new start, and a renewed heart will also renew the words that will flow from us.